morning. A man had two sons. Jesus begins a parable with this simple, short sentence, and you know already which one it is, don't you? Of course, it's the prodigal son, and I chose this story because it was one of the first passages from the Bible that I remember reading on my own, not just hearing about it in Sunday school or in a children's Bible story book, but reading straight from scriptures. I had a small little purple tract that was intended as a guide to scripture, probably from the Canadian Sunday School Mission, and it listed references uh, for passages for what to read when in trouble, when in need, comfort, those sorts of things, and also famous passages like the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, and this story. I don't know why I focused on the prodigal son, but I clearly remember lying in bed memorizing the reference. And someday when I've forgotten what I had for breakfast, I bet I'll still remember, be able to tell you that the prodigal son is found in Luke 15, 11 to 24. So I'm going to read it now. Just listen. Uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Let's look at the key players in this story. First, there is the younger son, the prodigal. The parable begins with his departure. Why does he leave? Is he just a rotten kid? Or is he just young and thoughtless? Whatever the case, he certainly feels entitled and he demands his share what he feels he is owed to go and live the good life and to be in control. And thus the unembarrassed ask of his father, give me the money I'll get when you die and give it now because I can't wait that long. And when his father does just that with no apparent reproach, though it must have pained him deeply, he takes off not many days later he doesn't wait until after the harvest or until spring planting is done, but he is 
just a few days, he is out of there. And maybe that's just as well. Maybe it might have been a pretty tense atmosphere around that house, as you might imagine. And off he goes into a far country, and not even one verse later, predictably, how could we not know the end of this story? Replayed in so many ways in times and cultures around the world and through the centuries. But it's all gone, squandered. The things he spent money on are gone. The people he spent money on are gone. He's alone. He got what he wanted, or at least he got what he asked for. And now he's left to feed the pigs, and he notices that even they have it better than he does. He has gone from a house of privilege to a pigsty. Animals that in Jewish culture are unclean, remember. So he is broke and socially isolated. His ruin is complete. And so the Bible says that he decides to return as a penitent to his father's household. This time as a servant, because how can he go back as a son? As he has squandered the money, he believes he has squandered the hope of a relationship as well. He rehearses his speech ahead of time. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And Jesus says that in his misery, he comes to himself. The younger son has finally and utterly lost all delusions about who he thought he was, the big man, the one in control. And now he begins to see truly who he is. He now knows, he comes to himself, and he sees that instead of being the self-assured rich guy, he now knows that the only wealth and value he ever had came from his connection to his father and his father's household. He sees himself accurately, and so he sees a sinner. But what he also sees and dares to hope for is that there might still be a place for him in his father's household, somewhere, somehow. He comes to himself and begins to turn home. He still has a long way to go. He's in a far country. But for the first time, he is facing the right direction. And he begins a tentative, humble, and undeserving return. The second key character is the father. When I read this as a child, I saw the whole point of the story being the father's welcome and rejoicing that his penitent son has returned. And that is certainly the context of this story. Jesus had heard people muttering about why he was hanging around with sinners and tax collectors, and in response, he had told the story of a lost sheep and a lost coin, and now this story of a lost son. He tried to illustrate the extent to which God intends to go to find us, and the joy when even one is recovered, especially because we know that things like that could so easily go otherwise. This story does certainly illustrate that. The father of the lost son pulls out all the stops to celebrate his return. But through the years, as I read this story, I began to realize that though the story of the lost son parallels the other two lost stories, there are a couple of key differences. One sheep of 99 is lost, perhaps it's tangled in a bush or in, injured somehow, 
and the shepherd searches high and low to find it and celebrates its return. A coin is lost, who knows how, and the woman scours her household in her search and calls her friends and neighbors in joy when it's found. A son is lost, and ah, here's the first difference. Unlike the sheep or the coin, the son leaves of his own volition. He chooses to be lost. And when the son is lost, does the father search high and low throughout the country to rescue him? That's the second difference. He lets him go. And this may be especially surprising because as for what happened next, he had to have known this was inevitable. He knows his son. Once he's out the door, he knows the money is as good as gone. And still, he lets him go. Though the story says the son is in a far country where he would get around, the father likely heard all the rumors about what was going on, and what he didn't know, he could certainly have guessed. Yet unlike the shepherd or the woman hunting for the coin, his father stayed put. He watches. So our Father in Heaven is indeed one who is full of unmerited grace, but this is also who He is. He will woo us, and He will welcome us, and He will be ready to run to us when we might still be a long way off, but He will not compel us to turn to home. He does not hold us against our will, but lets us go, so that one day we might come to ourselves and return to the full measure of joy he intends for us, restored not just as servants, but as full members of his household, beloved, but this time with an accurate understanding that our position and place in God's kingdom is only due to the Father's provision for us. Now finally, there's a third key character in this story. We've only talked about the younger son, and. The little Bible guidebook I had when I was young ended the story at verse 24 with the welcome of the wandering penitent. But remember, Jesus began this story, a man had two sons. I'll read further, Luke 15, beginning at verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, lo, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I may have been married with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your living with you kill for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So this story doesn't end at the bit more complicated than that, like most of life, 
and especially the part of life that involves family relationships. Frankly, I suspect many of us have some sympathy for the elder brother's point of view. I know I sure did as a kid. It's not fair. Yes, he feels entitled too, but surely he has a right to. And oh, is he angry. He refuses to join the celebration. He complains about the things he has not received. He never given me a party. And for good measure, he lists the injustice done not just to him, but to his father. He devoured your living with harlots. And see how he refers to his brother. He calls him this son of yours, as if he wants to deny that he himself has any connection to this guy. Can't you hear the contempt in that phrasing? And it's contempt not just for his brother, but for his father, too who let himself be duped by this ne'er-do-well in the first place, and now on top of it all, he's celebrating and honoring this family disgrace. And then notice something about the father and his relationship to this elder son. While the elder son returns home from the field and then boycotts the celebration, his father notices his absence and goes outside to entreat him to come in. Perhaps this son has not been so neglected and unappreciated after all. Perhaps the father has been watching and waiting for this one, too. Indeed, his father reminds him that he has always had access to the fullness of the relationship. You are always with me. And access to all the benefits of that relationship, too. All that is mine is yours. Not just a portion or share that the younger son if he is missing out on that and in refusing to enjoy the celebrations, perhaps that has more to do with his own choices than his father's neglect. Is he now making his own decision to distance himself from the place of refuge and plenty? Are there two lost sons here? In any case, the father is too wise to engage with the accusations or deny that the fortune has been wasted. I mean, how could he? The specific allegations are essentially true. The younger son has squandered things without excuse. Based on his actions, he doesn't deserve a party. But grace is never about a tally list. The father calls the elder son not to miss the larger picture, and he does not let him get away with denying his connection to his brother. He reminds him that he is not just this son of mine, but your brother. The younger son is connected to them all and has been restored. He is home where he belongs and he is welcome. And the father is longing only for both of his sons to know his welcome and wealth. He wants them both to be found. What will happen next? Who knows? The father waded through the younger son's journey to a far country until he came to himself Will the story continue with the father waiting for the elder son to do the same? Perhaps because it deals with family relationships. The parable of the prodigal son is one where over the centuries, people have tended to put themselves or others they know into the story. I know I did as a little girl and have continued to do so over the years. Sometimes we see ourselves as the younger son in willful ignorance and hot-headedness choosing our own reckless and disastrous way. We choose to be lost. 
And of course, there are many ways to choose our lostness. When I was a girl, I thought I was a good kid. That's how I saw myself. So the prodigal seemed someone quite unlike me. But now I know there are many ways to choose to abandon the goodness of our father's household. Ari Nawan says that we are like the prodigal every time we search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. If that is where we or those we love are, pray God that we come to ourselves, even if it's a hard lesson or a squalid journey. May we return home to know the lavish gift that God has given us in Christ, the costly robe and ring of honor that has been bought with his blood to restore us to our true home. One of the hardest places to be is in the position of the father. Through the years, how many parents have we known who would give anything to be the father at the end of the story? They would buy any number of robes and reins and sacrifice a hundred fatted calves to restore a lost child. If only it were that simple. But instead, they find themselves in the place of the father in the middle waiting and watching with no guarantees. If that's where we are, be confident that this is the place where God himself is, watching and waiting for so many of us, and he will help us to do this. Have hope also that God will know how best to have us and those we love come to ourselves to begin to turn toward home. Sometimes we are the elder son and we teeter on the brink losing our relationship with our Father through giving in to cold resentment or weary disappointment. And this is the most dangerous spiritual place of all. This is the only place in Jesus' story where there's no resolution because it highlights that this is a fearful choice and an eternally deadly temptation. Whoever we are, wherever we are, we are beloved, there is a welcome for us if we choose it. Let us come to ourselves each day if necessary and keep turning towards home and hear the echo.